0: Thank you, uh, Pastor Todd. We're going to be this morning, church, in uh, the book of Acts again. So if you want to go ahead and get out uh, a Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 5. In just a couple of minutes, we'll uh, begin there in the scriptures. Before we jump into uh, our time in study this morning, I want to take just a moment and uh, mention two things to you, just by way of uh, sort of leadership updates from the elders. Uh, The first thing is on Friday, we put up a new tab on the Church on Mill webpage. So if you go to uh, churchonmill.org and click on uh, the tab or the link, Jesus is better, you'll find uh, some new content that we're going to be putting there and hopefully having uh, a lot of you contribute to over the next uh, several weeks and months. Um, We want to gather around uh, a truth and that truth is that more than just wanting the pandemic to end, we want a closer, more vibrant, significant awareness of our union with Christ. The fact that we are uh, in Him and He is in us, that Jesus is better. So if you go there, you'll find some uh, things that are already put up, and hopefully those will be an encouragement uh, to you in the coming days and weeks. Second thing just wanted to mention uh, briefly is uh, we are today, on our sixth uh, Sunday morning in which we're um, unable to gather physically here at 13th in Mill. It's hard to believe that it's been this long. and yet in some other ways, it feels like it's been much longer, doesn't it? Well, I wanted to speak to just the members of Churchill Mill for a moment. So uh, if you are a, a guest, thank you for, for attending, uh, for looking in, but uh, no, specifically, I'm thinking about, the people who call this their church home. On that last Sunday, we were able to meet together, uh, March 15th, uh, by by way of just a financial update on how the church is doing. On that last Sunday, we were able to meet together. We were $3,000 ahead of budget for the year. That meant that uh, the, the budget the church voted on and put into place for this fiscal year, so it's the same as the calendar year, January to December, we were $3,000 ahead of where the need was. As of this morning, uh, six weeks later, we are just shy of $15,000 behind. And so that means over the course of just six weeks, there's been an an $18,000 drop in uh, where we were. We're being as cautious as we can on this end, on the the leadership side, on the spending side, and are just not spending any money unless it really needs to be spent and is moving ministry forward right now. But if you're able uh, to give more to help that shortfall, I want to encourage you, please, to do so. If you uh, have lost a job or uh, your pay has been significantly cut, then, of course, know that God doesn't expect you to give something you don't have, and you don't need to feel guilty about that in any way. Uh, We understand there have been a few people who have lost uh, jobs, and if if you're in that kind of situation and you have a need, financial need, please uh, let that be known. You can uh, talk to your small group leader, your gospel community leader, if you're in a group, or email help, H-E-L-P, at churchonmill.org. That's help, H E L P, at churchonmill.org, if uh, you have a financial need. So I know there's a few in that situation right now, um, but uh, the rest of us who, who haven't been impacted in that way, uh, maybe the main reason for this, this rather significant drop in giving um, is not that we don't have the money but it's simply that we have to find new ways of giving because we're not here together gathered in person. You'll see here on a slide that there are a couple of ways you can continue to contribute. Um, there's three listed out there. Um, one is just mail in a check. Um, two is if you go to the website churchml.org give, you can find the easiest way probably is to do that there, or you can text. So those are three options. And thank you uh, for your uh, contributions. If you If you can't find any of those that work, simply give one of the staff a call and we'll help you get that figured out. This is an unparalleled, uh, certainly in our lifetimes, opportunity for the church to be faithful, to stand up, to be strong, to be sacrificial. So thank you for considering how you can press in to that uh, generosity. Um, For this morning, we're going to be together in the book of Acts. We're gonna start in Acts chapter five and Tanyan is gonna be reading for us verses 12 to 16. Go for it, Tanyan. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added you're new with us here at Church on Mill, uh, I want to say a special welcome to you. It would be helpful for you to know that, that as a church family, we believe the Bible tells us the truth about God and His Word, and all that it says is a reliable record of what has transpired. As a, as a church, we've been walking through this book in the Bible called Acts on Sunday mornings, Acts records uh, many of the significant events that took place after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, up through the the real start and spread of the news of Jesus Christ all over the world. It focuses especially on the dramatic way in which the the Word of God kind of exploded uh, throughout uh, the world in the first century. Acts has 28 chapters, and uh, it covers a span of less than 30 years, but from these pages we learn so much about God and uh, his word and his church. In the opening reading in our section today, that portion that Tanya just read for us, uh, we see here more and more examples of the miraculous power of God. The, the apostles, those Early church leaders who knew Jesus and were commissioned by Him to uh, uniquely carry an authority that would declare the truth about Jesus, uh, that would start churches, and they were people upon whom God was unusually present and working through. You'll notice that their preaching was some kind was sometimes accompanied. By what verse 12 called uh, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. The supernatural power of God was working through these apostles in such a way that they were serving to authenticate the teachings that they were having about Jesus. Remember that the church in these days was just in its infancy, and the kingdom of God was breaking forth in new ways. So these signs and wonders were particularly helpful at the beginning of the start of the church of Jesus Christ. The healings they performed were, were the supporting evidence that their preaching was true, that Jesus was alive, that their word about him was in fact authoritative. Their words about Jesus were primary, but the wonders they performed, although secondary, were not unimportant what a powerful god uh, we serve now I, I find it as we're covering these moments in the book of acts and we're in this pandemic that it's 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 sort of a surreal circumstance that we find ourselves in frankly i think it's it's very understandable that if you hear those words that Tanyan read and feel a bit troubled by them that that that's incredibly understandable. As of this morning, when I looked before I left the house, uh, 54,375 people have died from COVID-19 in the United States alone. And here in the U.S., there's just shy of one million cases. So doesn't this sort of raise the question, if healings like those in Acts chapter 5 happened then, then why not now? If God can heal like that, then why isn't the same thing happening today? Well, maybe we can talk about this more in the Q&A. Again, if you have questions that you'd like uh, us to visit about, us to try and answer later today, then you can hit that uh, button at the bottom if you're using Zoom that says uh, Q&A. You can send any questions in you'd like and Hopefully, we'll be able to cover a few of them. But I I would think that that's got to be a question somebody would be having. If God can heal, why not heal these 54,375 people who have died? Well, there's a lot that could be said here, but maybe one of the big things to remember is that God can do whatever he wants, God's in charge. He's sovereign. He's king. He's in control. He decides. And one day when King Jesus returns, he will bring with him healing and restoration on a global scale. Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have some kind of illness today, understand God could heal you today, but God will certainly heal you When Jesus returns. And yet, it is also true that God does heal some today physically. And so, what we see happening in Acts 5 isn't something God has somehow lost his power to do. It's entirely appropriate to pray for healing. And yet, understand there are no apostles today. We shouldn't expect Acts chapter 5 to be typical. It's not even typical in the course of the biblical story itself. These signs and wonders were principally about authenticating the new preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was their main purpose. They were were about getting Christianity up off the ground. And so that specific purpose of those healings is not necessary today. There's no question. Jesus is alive. His church is strong. His word is written and is the authority. And yet, we'd still want to say God can and at times does still heal. In fact, James chapter 5 says, church, that if you are sick, then you are to call the elders of your church and they are to pray for you that you would be healed So can you see how we've got to kind of work with multiple things and keep them in tension? That tension is there there are no apostles today who have the same kind of authority that the apostles in the first century had. And yet there is a God who can heal. And so, brothers and sisters, we can rejoice at what we see in Acts 5, even as we lament, as we think about these 53,000 who have died even as when we have illnesses of our own, we can ask God to heal, and we can trust that he might, that he can, and yet we should not expect that all diseases will come to an end until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. These are some of the truths we have to think through as we consider the paragraph that Tanyan read. There's a lot more for us to cover, though. Uh, Would you look on with me to uh, verse 17. This is Acts chapter 5 verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who are with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but When we opened, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard their words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. This passage shows us yet another case of opposition against the church as it was growing rapidly in Jerusalem. A few weeks ago, we saw the first outbreak of persecution. That time, it was only two of the apostles who got arrested. This time, it's all of them. Clearly, Luke is showing us as he wrote Acts that there was an intensification of hostility toward the preaching of the apostles. Now, who caused it? Well, you'll see there, as you look in your scriptures, that it was the Sadducees. The Sadducees were one of the ruling parties of the day. They, they felt threatened by the apostles. If you look in verse 17, we, we even gain insight into the inner motives that they have. It says that they were filled with jealousy. That's a very interesting observation that we're given. You know, it's easy to assume today, as we talk with friends and family who are not Christians, it's easy to assume that, that objections to Christianity are what they seem to be on the surface. That, that they're driven by a genuine rejection or question about the truth claims of Christianity. Christianity. But here, in Acts chapter 5, we see what often lies underneath the surface, what's what's beneath those objections. We see things like jealousy, like an unwillingness or reticence to give up power or control. We see that there's a moral, not an intellectual rejection or opposition, and that's driven by heart motives. You see, the Sadducees were not principally concerned with the reputation of God and his word. No, they wanted to remain in power. They wanted to keep their popularity. They wanted to have the attention. Friend, if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to tune in, to be part of this live stream don't make the mistake of saying your opposition to Christianity is merely because you don't believe its truth claims. That may be part of the things that you're grappling with, but isn't there more to it than that? Don't you recognize, friend, that if Christianity is true, then it means that you're not in charge, that your life isn't about you, that You're not free, in fact, to do just whatever you want, whenever you want. That there is a a duty, an obligation, a moral responsibility to respond to Jesus Christ. And isn't that part of what objection to Christianity is about? I want to encourage you to deal with the moral demands and Jesus' insistence that he's Lord and to deal with those at the deepest level of the heart, to not just argue and hide behind intellectual objections. You see, you'll get much, much further in your quest for spiritual understanding if you admit all these different dimensions are involved. That's what the Sadducees wouldn't do. That's what their opposition was ultimately about. We'd love to help you on that journey. If you have specific questions, feel free to Q&A and send that Q&A button and send them in, or simply reach out to whoever invited you to be part of this uh, virtual gathering. I'm sure they would love to visit with you more about Jesus Christ. Now, as the apostles sat in prison awaiting their trial the next day, God did something uh, remarkable. God sent an angel to rescue them, an angel. Now, while not um, unprecedented, this does happen other places in the Bible, this is certainly an unusual thing for God to do. Uh, Theologians call this uh, a release miracle. What what they mean by that is, is that God brought about the miraculous escape of these apostles out of prison in a very atypical way. He sent a supernatural being to rescue them. Now, the irony here is palpable. You see, the, the Sadducees didn't believe angels existed. And so while the Sadducees locked the, the apostles up in prison and they went to bed, they went to bed fully confident that angels don't exist and that they would get their way the next day. They, meaning the Sadducees. And yet, as they slept, these beings that supposedly didn't exist came. And delivered the apostles. It's rather amusing, isn't it? Uh, now notice what the angel said to them in verse 20. Uh, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Uh, the directive God gave the apostles was literally leave the prison and go back exactly where you were before the last time you got arrested and pick up what you were doing when you got arrested. As we work our way through this chapter this morning, you'll notice that the clear emphasis is on the speaking, the teaching, the preaching of God's word, of the truth about Jesus. It is this word that saves. It is this word that sustains. It is this word we need so much. If if you're hearing this sermon and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, would you look at how the the message of Christianity is defined in that verse, in verse 20? It's it's defined as the words of life, the words of this life. I love that picture of Christianity. Friends, what everyone needs most is life, spiritual life. Life to be given by God to us, and he accomplishes that through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way to eternal life, and it is in Jesus Christ that we who were dead to sin can be made alive together with God. The message the apostles were teaching is that the the only way to be right with God, the only way to be fully alive, is to believe the gospel message, that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, that he rose again in victory, that he ascended back to the Father where he rules and reigns over all creation today. Friend, if you believe that, if you will turn from sin and turn to this Jesus, then you will have this life. And church, remember that you too have this life already. Stay-at-home orders or not, we can have full, vibrant, joyful, peaceful lives together because we have the life of Christ in us. So the angel uh, it got them out of prison, and then the apostles marvelously did exactly what God told them to. They went back to the temple and began boldly sharing The news of Christ as the sun came up. While the Jewish leaders slept, the apostles preached. What a contrast. Now, eventually, the word of the apostles' freedom reached that gathering of the Sanhedrin. And so as we read, the apostles were arrested yet again. They were tried. We're about to read what exactly took place. We are uh, headed into the time of year here in the valley in which it gets hot. And didn't you feel that the last uh, few days? Oh my gosh. It's one thing to be stuck at home when you can get out and walk outside and it's really nice out. It's something else as the the, uh, thermostat gets cranked up uh, on the outside and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. So we're in that time of year when it seems like so many people in the valley head for the beach. And um, in many ways, you're most likely to bump into a friend in Tempe actually in San Diego during the summer. Imagine standing on the shore right now and feeling that cool breeze and watching as wave after wave after wave comes in. That's how persecution happened in the first century. It came in one wave at a time. Wave after wave after wave. Some of the times were bigger. The swell was was greater. Some of the waves were smaller, but they came crashing in one by one by one. And here we're about to read about another wave. Look with me, if you would, at verse 27. It says, when they had brought them in, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, brothers and sisters, remember the the Sanhedrin, this group that's trying, the apostles in this text, is the same group who tried Jesus and then gave him over to the Romans to be executed. It's the same group that Peter had already been arrested and appeared before. They're the most powerful religious body in Israel in the day, and they were very, very unhappy with the apostles. Peter, as we've just read, Uh, stood and spoke no doubt on behalf of all the apostles. He was speaking what they all believed and he responded with boldness. Certainly aspects of his response are so critically important for us today to to have as part of our own worldview and how we interact in daily life in the world. Notice first that the apostles didn't look out for themselves, meaning they didn't self-protect. Their their concern was not getting out of trouble. Rather, their concern was representing the gospel faithfully. Now, while it's, it's very unlikely that anyone in the United States will ever get taken before a court and charged with a crime for telling somebody else about Jesus there are certainly more subtle forms of oppression, of persecution, that we do face. And these still necessitate our clear proclamation of the gospel. Now, it's also true that as a church, we're blessed that we have, uh, we have members, part of this church family, who are not from the United States. Many of them are here temporarily to study at ASU and Uh, Brothers and sisters, you will go back, some of you, to countries where that's not true, where you could, in fact, be arrested, tried, maybe even killed for your faith. And those of us from here, from the U.S., learn so much by watching you and talking with you and hearing the seriousness with which you take your faith. We want to say thank you to you. May the Lord strengthen us all for whatever difficulty we might face for speaking the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter's opening sentence to the charges brought against the apostles couldn't be more important. It is perhaps one of the most important statements in the New Testament. If you look there at verse 29 you'll see it. Peter said simply, "We must obey God rather than men. Church, the the leaders in society, I'm thinking particularly about governmental leaders, have been put there by God. They are responsible to rule well, to keep the peace, to punish wrongdoing, to promote the good of society. This is why government exists. And most of the time, we should follow those in authority over us, But if submitting to a human authority would require disobedience to God as our divine authority, then we must obey God, not man. Every authority, be it a judge, a teacher, a boss, a husband, a pastor, a mother, the Supreme Court, the president, any and every human authority is only the authority to the extent that we're not being asked to disobey a divine authority. While our submission to God is always final, our submission to every human authority is relative. So, beloved, if you ever must choose between obeying God and obeying a human authority, make it clear in your mind now what you will do. You will obey God. That's what Peter did. And that's what we would be called to do as well. Peter went on to tell the Sanhedrin that while they had cursed and shamed and killed Jesus in the crucifixion, God raised him up. God exalted him to be the prince, to be the the prince over the kingdom of God and the Savior. Over every human heart who would turn to him. Now, even for Peter, those were pretty blunt words. This brings up all kinds of questions that we'd have to be thinking about and asking and wondering if we had been there that day. Would would the apostles get executed like Jesus? Would Christianity be snuffed out in its very earliest of days? Would, would the church survive? This overt wave of persecution, as it increased steadily, kept moving along. Is is Jesus really the center of all things? Would the gospel message of life ever make it out of the first century? All of these things feel like they're at stake as Peter stands with those apostles and gives testimony in the Sanhedrin. Wave after wave after wave of persecution moving in. Well, let's read one more section. Verse 33. Uh, when, when they, that's the Sanhedrin, when, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis raised, rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they They beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Gamaliel was among the most important people in the room. He was one of those guys that when he spoke, people listened. He, he commanded a respect just because of the quality of the words that came out of his mouth. He provided a voice of moderation and wisdom in a moment of chaos. We'll learn later, church, in the book of Acts from Paul that uh, Gamaliel was his principal mentor. This was a very important guy. And his argument was essentially, look, Sanhedrin, other people who have claimed to be the Messiah have come and gone. And we didn't have to do anything big as a group. The movement simply worked itself out. If the apostles are simply one more group like that, then their undertaking will die. It's almost like Gamaliel saying, just give them enough rope and the apostles will end up hanging themselves. Christianity will run its course. We, we need not kill them and meet the opposition that likes them. It was a, a political move, a risky move, and yet in his assessment, the far less risky thing to do. Now, no doubt because of his reputation, because of the, the weight and significance of his voice, the Sanhedrin listened, and so they decided that no one would die that day for preaching Christ. Instead, the apostles were beaten. They were warned not to preach Christ, and they were released. Now, church, in our final couple of minutes we have together, I really want to focus in on this last part of the passage with you. You'll notice in verse 30 the phrase, uh, they beat them. Certainly, that is meant to describe what the common punishment of the day was. Your your shirt would be removed, you would be tied to a pole, and uh, a whip with rock and bone would be lashed against your body 39 times. This beating would pummel your back until it looked like ground beef. Where I'd love to end this morning is by considering the response of the apostles to that beating. It is amazing. Notice that they left rejoicing, and notice that they left with a commitment to keep on preaching Christ. Let's talk about both those for just a moment. First, they they left rejoicing. They left with an exuberant, holy joy. Now, frankly, does that strike you as rather bizarre? Here, the flesh has literally been peeled off their backs. And they're rejoicing. Friend, if... If you shared Christ with a customer at work, and as a result, you were fired, would you find your way headed home rejoicing? I've got to think a lot of us, more of our, our thinking about God would be, God, I did what's right, and now this horrible thing has happened to me. How could you do that? God, That that's wrong of you. I tend to think a lot of us would feel as though God had been harmful to us, and that we had a right to be angry with him. But church, the disciples here show us, these apostles, how to respond. You see, Jesus told the disciples many, 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 many times that they would be persecuted, that opposition would come. And now they were experiencing it. Church, our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is with Christ in the heavenlies. We don't belong to the world. We don't belong to the earth. Its value system is not ours. And so we long for our true and better home. And therefore, we understand that life today in this fallen world will be a place in which there's suffering, we're all experiencing a measure of suffering as a result of the pandemic. And yet in this text we're thinking specifically about suffering as a result of following Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus, by means of the Spirit, we can meet opposition with joy. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 5 verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, that blessedness is what the apostles were experiencing, and in it they rejoiced. They were, they were honored to be dishonored for Jesus. came across this uh, quote from a sermon uh, by D.A. Carson that I, help, that I think help us explain it. He says this, it's it's almost as if the apostles were, dare I say, relieved. They had been given astonishing authority, but instead of strutting around, talking about their power, they were a little worried that they had not yet suffered. Now, they've been good and flogged, and they smile because they've been counted worthy to suffer for that name. Friends, the... The apostles understood, if Jesus is the most loving, truth-speaking, if he's the founder and author of life and he faced persecution, then of course all who seek to walk in him, walk in his kind of life, we too will face persecution. Now, don't misunderstand. It's, It's not as though those 39 lashes felt like butterfly kisses. It's not as though it didn't hurt. No, it's that they they knew Jesus is better. They knew they were living for what mattered most. They knew they were walking in the path of their Savior. Beloved, suffering is a part of life. Suffering for the gospel is normal. Now, certainly in the United States, we're not expecting that kind of suffering. But do you ever face opposition for your faith? I know, brothers and sisters, that many of you do. Many of you have. And there will be more in the future. And whenever those waves of persecution come, whether they're small or feel like a tsunami, we can, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, face those with joy because of Christ. Opposition wasn't merely for the first century. Opposition is and has been the norm for Christianity. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, it has been granted to us for the sake of Christ that we not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. Church, we should expect that sharing the gospel of Jesus will result in God adding to his church. That's what happened in Acts 5. We should expect that it would also result in an increase in opposition against the church and an attendant joy among the church. Eventually, brothers and sisters, the waves of opposition will come to an end. We know how the story turns out. King Jesus comes back, and all his followers live with him forever, in harmony with God and with each other. On that day, there will be no pandemic. No one will ever have to wear a mask. No one will ever get sick. And no one will face hostility for trusting Jesus Christ. Beloved, in this pandemic, the church must be strong in Christ. We must press on in love, in humility, in courageous sharing of the gospel. This is an opportunity in these COVID-19 days to live for and share Jesus unlike any of us have ever had in our lifetimes before. Brothers and sisters, through the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit, through this encouragement from Acts chapter five, may we share Jesus generously, frequently, humbly, and may we do so with joy, irrespective of the cost. It is to this joy we now Father, thank you for uh, your word. We pray that a text that's in some ways very far removed from our circumstances. We pray that this text would penetrate our hearts and that you would change us. We pray for joy, not only joy in these pandemic days, but joy whenever and wherever waves of hostility and opposition would come against the faith. We pray that like the apostles were, we would be bold, courageous, obedient, and joyful. We pray, God, that uh, any who have been part of this live stream today who have not yet trusted Jesus Christ— that, God, you would open their eyes to see how beautiful your gospel is and that they would trust you even now. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray that this time of singing, of praying, of encountering Christ in his word, God, we pray that this would be sufficient and we trust that it is to guide us through these coming Six, seven days until we meet again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.